sweet, sweet presence. On this day, we continue our journey through the season of Easter. Today is the last Sunday of Easter, and next Sunday will be Pentecost Sunday, when we remember the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the believers, the birthday of the church. Next Sunday is also Graduate Recognition Day, so we are looking forward to what God's not only doing today, but next Sunday as well. Today our scripture passage is from the book of Acts, and we'll be reading from verses 1 through 14 of chapter 1. The sermon text starts at verse 6, but I wanted to give you the little bit of background there in those first few verses. Luke writes this book, a continuation of the gospel of Luke, as you know. Hear God's word. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. Remember that. Remember that, 40 days. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Here's our mission text. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up in the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The highlight in 
Acts chapter 1 is the ascension of Jesus. After having appeared numerous times to hundreds of people after his resurrection, the Lord is taken up into the sky right before the eyes of the disciples. Luke records that a, a cloud hid him from their sight. The ascension is a pivotal, was the pivotal moment in the Christian faith. Without it, there's no Pentecost where the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit is given to the Christ followers. Although the ascension is so important, there's little said about it in the Gospels. Matthew makes no mention of it at all, neither does John. Mark and Luke give it one sentence each. It's not until Acts chapter 1 that there is substantial treatment of this important historical event in the Christian faith. Why? Pastor Bob, why is that? If it was so important, why is it not mentioned as much? Maybe there, there are several reasons, but a couple to help. First, the gospel set out to present the, the good news of Jesus Christ, the ministry of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and his post-resurrection experiences. So there is much more said about salvation and forgiveness of sin and eternal life which is the core of the good news, then there is about the, active, the actual act of the ascension of Jesus. So just from a common sense perspective, the disciples are going to put a lot more, the, the writers of the Gospels are going to include much more information about the message of the Gospel in their writings. And second, if you think about it, who wanted to talk more about Christ's leaving? The disciples had already been through enough. They had said enough goodbyes, so the ascension to them, as you can imagine them standing there just waiting as he's taken up, imagine they're feeling a sense of loss, like, here we go again. He was with us, and then he was not with us, and then he was with us, and now he's not with us. We know he promised, we know what he's saying, but we sure do feel a sense of loss. So perhaps they had felt we've said enough goodbyes. The ascension is just another reminder of that. So how much more could they take? So there's not a whole lot of attention given to it throughout the, all of the Gospels. What did the disciples and those with them do after the ascension? I believe that they were preparing for the what's next. Forty days after Easter, the ascension occurs. Pentecost would come 10 days later, the 50th day. But what happened during this 40-day and then the other 10-day period? I believe that as we look at their actions, we can learn from these early Christ followers how to live our lives of faith today. As we face seasons in life, I believe that God allows us time and space to prepare for the what's next. Perhaps the ascension marks something new and there is a season of preparation for these followers of Jesus. Many of you are experiencing new beginnings now. Some of you are just graduated college and maybe there's graduate school or maybe there is work or maybe some other service for a nonprofit or a missions agency uh, that you are preparing for. Maybe you're getting ready to graduate from high school, and, and there are all these things ahead. Maybe some of you are going into the military. 
others law enforcement or college or some other work that, uh, that you have before you, and this is a season of preparation. Uh, maybe some of you are thinking about engagement or you recently engaged. Others of you may be looking at retirement and what's next for you. Or maybe some are looking at a career change or some other call in your life. Maybe there is a season of helping uh, another. Uh, maybe you know someone in your family who needs more attention than they had in the past. I don't know what it is for you, but the response of the disciples here gives us a, a way that we can learn to prepare for the what's next. That we engage in spiritual preparation as we transition from one chapter in life to another. If you look back in the scriptures, there are a number of occasions that had the number, uh, several occasions that had the number 40 involved. Moses tended flocks of sheep for 40 years after taking the law into his own hands. Remember, he fled. And after that 40-year period, God called him to lead the people of Israel. It was a season of preparation. Later, Moses was alone with God on the mountaintop for 40 days and 40 nights. And there he received the instructions for the tabernacle and the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Israelite spies took 40 days to investigate Canaan. The Israelites later, after they fled Egypt, spent 40 years in the wilderness, a season of preparation. Elijah fled Jezebel and traveled 40 days and 40 nights to reach the mountain of God. Jesus himself fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness and was also tempted by the devil there, you remember. And the ascension took place 40 days after the resurrection. So there was a season of preparation in this new beginning. In these seasons of time, God is often preparing a person or a group for something new. And my question to us here at HRBC is, what new thing is God calling us to be, and do, to be about and to do? I don't know the answer to all of that, but I know that God has set us on a wonderful journey for over 50 years now as a church, and I'm excited about what God is doing in our midst today and what the future holds for us. The ascension marked a new beginning. What new beginning are you experiencing? Or what new thing do you want to do? Or what new thing are you praying about? I hope that today's text is encouraging for you. Jesus said to the followers, in a few days, it was actually ten, they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit, meaning that Pentecost would come, the pouring out of God's power on the followers. And they would be his witnesses. Here's the text in verse 8. In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the great commandment that he's given us. It took right to his great commandment that we follow here in our church, in our mission structure. We have a Jerusalem ministry, a Judea ministry, and an ends of the earth ministry. All of that happened right here before the ascension. That's where Jesus gave this passage to his followers. And when you read through the book of Acts, the history of the New Testament church, we see all of this unfold. The church would grow exponentially in Jerusalem, and then persecution would come. And Paul, formerly known as Saul, was the one who was overseeing the persecution. Stephen was martyred in his faith, the first Christian martyr to die for his faith. 
And the church, as a result, was scattered about to Judea and Samaria. Acts reports that the apostle Philip went to Samaria and reached many people there. The gospel message was thriving. And then the apostle Paul later and many other Christ followers would take the gospel message all over the Mediterranean on his missionary journeys throughout the Roman Empire and eventually to Europe. We see all of this happening because of what Jesus said to his followers there as recorded in Acts 1.8. And we are seeking to model that here in our own congregation. But all of this, all of this work that they were to do required preparation. During the 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension, and then the subsequent days before Pentecost, Jesus was doing the work of convincing the apostles of the true truth and authenticity of the Lord's physical resurrection. He appeared numerous times and enabled them to receive teaching, to be convinced that it was real. And he taught them. There were a lot of opportunities for the disciples to sit at his feet in his resurrected form you remember the Great Commission that we as Baptist people cherish so dearly in Matthew 28, 19 and 18 and 20, where Jesus said, Go therefore into all the nations and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then he said, In teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And lo, remember that I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That was a post-resurrection teaching. So during this season, before the ascension, he gave them the great commission, and then right before his ascension, he gave them the great commandment. We have a great commission, and we have a great commandment, that which we are to be about and do. And he also gave them some correction. If you look at verses 6 through 8, they were concerned about the kingdom coming and the, the timing of all of that. And Jesus doesn't correct their concept of the coming of the kingdom, the second coming when all things would be made new, but rather corrects their understanding of the timing and their responsibility. Uh, in essence, Jesus saying, not when, <clears throat> but what. Not when it's going to happen, but what you are to do in the meantime until I come again. The what was, and, it, and the what is for us today, is that they were supposed to be witnesses to what they had seen and heard this time of preparation would help them to be fully devoted to their mission. These apostles spent time being before they're doing. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'd rather get the doing done. You know? Especially us Baptist people. We like to do stuff. We like to go places and do things and build things and repair things. And often, if we're not careful, we can run ahead of God in our doing. Sometimes, yeah, we're supposed to do, but I believe that there are often seasons of being that we can understand what the doing is about. If you've been in the church for a long time, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a new believer or recently reconnected with the church, what we're talking about is waiting on God. And not just sitting around, but engaging in spiritual practices that can help us to fulfill the mission that he has called us to. So here's where you can take some notes. 
for your own reflection this coming week. When we look at Acts 1-4, we see that the early apostles practiced active waiting. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father promised. He says, wait. Don't do anything yet. You need to wait. And then he gave them the great commandments. And then there were ten more days before the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. There are times we need to wait on God. And then if you look down at verses 12 through 14, after the ascension, the apostles returned to Jerusalem just as he had said from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. They were together. We are to be together. First, we need to practice active waiting on God And second, we need to be together as his people. In John chapter 17, Jesus shared a lengthy prayer. And in the first 11 verses, Jesus prayed for his followers. And in the last part, he said, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, Jesus is praying to God. And the glory has come to me through them. Verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus praying that the followers of Christ, his disciples, would be together. They would be one body, unified in their purpose. Church, we've got to stick together. If we're going to be able to make it out there, we've got to stick together here. And third, be in continual prayer. I am convinced that prayer is the lifeblood of the church. A praying church can accomplish the mission of God, the missio dei. Again, chapter 1, the last part of verse 14. They were all together. They joined together. What's the text say? Constantly in prayer. They stuck to it. There's a, a literal translation that they stuck to prayer. Prayer was the center of what they were doing. Be in continual prayer. Pray without ceasing, as Paul writes to us in Thessalonians. And all of this, this act of waiting on God, being prepared for the what's next, being together in spirit and in truth and in fellowship, and in continual prayer, fourth, prepares us for the next thing. Whether it's something individual that you have going on in your life where God can use you in that setting or in that season or through that relationship or whether it's the body of Christ sensing the what's next as we seek to serve in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth that we are prepared for the next thing, that we are prepared for an encounter with God. 
that when we have practiced the spiritual disciplines of prayer and reflecting on scriptures and worship together, fellowship together, communion together, that we will be prepared for what that next thing is. The apostles didn't just sit around waiting for God to do something. They actively waited, doing the work of the spiritual disciplines, and then on Pentecost, God spoke and gifted them with power. Next Sunday, we're going to see what happened. Our world says, don't just stand there, do something. But if we flip that around, actively waiting on God, don't just do something, stand there. I think there are seasons of both. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. What's God doing in your life? What do you sense that next thing is in your life? What is God doing in our church and through our church? What's that next thing? That next thing could be a season of waiting, a season of committed prayer. It could also be an engage in a new mission that we don't even know about yet. We just trust God. Are we practicing unity in our faith, in our church? Are we being obedient to the word of God, seeking to study and understand its truths? Are we making godly leadership decisions? Are we seeking to place the right people in the right place at the right time in leadership in our church to guide us into the future? Are we seeking the what's next? Are we supporting the ministries and missions of our church with our time, with our offerings, with our talents, with our abilities? One of the things that I hear often is we need people to serve in these certain areas. Maybe you are one who's seeking a place of service. I encourage you to talk to one of our staff or one of our leaders about how you might get plugged in. Are we being witnesses in our broken world? Meaning, are we sharing the hope and peace of Jesus Christ with those who are around us? I believe that it is very easy for churches to get comfortable with who they are and where they are and to depend on their pastors to do the evangelism. When a church kind of sits back and allows evangelism to be done by the paid people, then there are troubles ahead. We are not reaching our community. So I pray that we will be active in our evangelism that we will use our personal relationships and the connections that we have, the places where we live and go, to seek ways to share our faith, to give a reason for the hope that we have, to do that in a non-confrontational way, to do that in a way that's positive, to make people want to come and be a part of what God is doing here. We can't do it alone. We can't just trust 20% of the people to do all the work. We've got to join together to be about the ministries that we, to which we are called. There are times when we can do it personally, and there are times when we have to allow a ministry of the church or a team or a program to, to do it. It's both and, not either or. The church, we've got to be witnesses to our neighbors. We've got to be. They have a lot of different issues and problems going on give you an example. You know, my daughter plays softball, 
right here in Huguenot Little League. And Friday evening, we were at softball game, and our, our coach was, you could tell he was just having a hard time. And then during the game, he had his phone, and he slipped out of the gate there on the ball field. I was sitting there watching in my little fold-up chair, and he knelt down beside me, and he said, Pastor Bob, would you, would you please pray? Because uh, one of our officers has fallen. And I didn't realize this, but uh, he is in law enforcement. I, I know their coach, but I didn't know exactly what line of work he was in. And he said, I'm getting all these texts and calls right now. And they said, I can finish the game, but I may, I may need to go. He said, will you pray? And I said, absolutely. So I started praying right there as we watched the rest of the ball game. You and I never know when God is going to put us in a place where we can be a help to someone in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that you and I will seek the what's next, to be available when God does call, no matter when or where that might be. And that our goal is to, to be ready. And that we've done the act of waiting and the work of being together that can help us along the way. Let's pray together.